0: random eggs productions and the credible nerds present the fourth Tavirin, a wheel of time podcast <laughs> The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Welcome everyone to the 4th Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast from your host, The Credible Nerds. My name is Justin, and as always, I have my co-host and fellow Taviran with me, Mark.
1: Hey guys, how's it going?
0: And this is episode 3 of our 4th Taviran podcast, and today we'll be covering chapters 11 through 15 from The Eye of the World, which is book 1 in the Wheel of Time fantasy series that was written by Robert Jordan. And the last two episodes, we've covered a couple prologues as well as all the chapters up through chapter 10. So if you haven't listened to those, uh, go back and listen to those first two episodes to catch up um, and kind of find out what's, what's been happening lately. But this episode, will start off with chapter 11, The Road to Terran Ferry. Is it Terran or Taran? I always say Terran.
1: I say Taryn as well. Um, I, I've heard it, uh, I think they say Taryn Ferry in the, um, audio So that's, I just stick with it.
0: Yeah. One thing I read on online somewhere this past week was that, um, about the pronunciations of the, of the names. We've kind of gone over that in the previous episodes, but, um, cause everyone says things differently, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, I guess for the first audio book, maybe the first two audio books, the, the readers contacted Robert Jordan. We're like, Hey, how do you say 90 uh, or how do you say Moraine? You know, all these d- words, how do you say I said, I, and he told them. And then he says, Robert Jordan said that they, after the first or second audio book, they just quit calling and they kind of made it up. <laughs> what sounded best for them or what was easy for them to pronounce as they were reading the story. So Oh, uh, that's I thought that was kind of funny because I always thought, well, because I knew they had contacted Robert Jordan to get the correct pronunciation, but apparently they stopped after a while. So, <laughs> <coughs> how you say these names?
1: Well, I mean, I, I could only imagine like these books are long and you'd probably have like, uh you know, two or three hundred words like, hey, how do you say this? How do you say this? And I'm sure that they just are like, okay, yeah, we've called them like a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, <laughs> that makes sense, but kind of funny cause they have the, if you read the books in the back, they have glossaries and they, they tell you how to pronounce the, each name. Yeah. And even with the glossaries, right, Justin and I continue to pronounce things different. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So, yeah.
0: And someone likened it, I think it was on Twitter. Someone likened it to, well, if you're in the South, you know, the deep South, you're going to say different words than if you were in, you know, the West. California or New England, right? Everybody says the same word differently. So it's, it's kind of, I think it's a good explanation. You know, it's not so different that you don't know what they're saying, but it's just a different way to pronunciate these words. So I thought mm. that was good. But before we get started, I wanted to talk about some Wheel of Time news. Uh, the last episode we talked about they were having the, the writer, the showrunner of, of Wheel of Time TV show. Uh, Rafe Judkins was having a, a contest. They had bought a, a new writer's room or moved into a new writer's room and it was pretty empty on the walls and they wanted some decorations. So they challenged the fans on Twitter to submit lots of art and projects and things like that. To, so they decorate their office basically. and They, they were going to announce the winners. And so they did that recently and they announced the top three With the first one being, uh, they called it 8-Bit Boys, and it's kind of this, um, I got the impression it was, you know, those little beads that you can put them together and iron them with an iron, they kind of melt together and form a picture or, Mm -hmm. you know, something, design or something. I forget what they're called, but that's what it looked like to me. And it was three, the three Taviran boys, Matt, Rand, and Perrin, and they were, it looks it's pretty creative uh, the way that it was made. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah, I'm looking at it. It's basically like a, uh, you know, if you're a computer nerd or, or anything, and you know what an 18-bit or 16-bit game is from back in the day. Yeah, so it's just kind of that look, like blocky, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty it's pretty cool. I'm looking at it. I, I like it.
0: Yeah, I thought it was pretty creative, and they did a good job with it. So I was I've definitely thought that was definitely one of the the better ones to pick. I haven't seen them all obviously but I like it. And then the second one was a heron marked sword that someone made or I don't know how they made it. Maybe they got a sword and kind of just etched the herons in it but I mean it's pretty cool. I I thought that would take first place but uh, it took second. And it was pretty pretty cool. I'd like to hang that over my fireplace that's for sure.
1: Oh yeah, this looks sweet. I'm just uh, I just googled it, right? And uh yeah. it looks it looks pretty legit. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. And
0: then the final, the first place winner uh, was, I someone was posting them, on, probably the creator of them was posting them on Twitter throughout the past couple of weeks. But they're like these tabloid front covers with these, you know, they have those crazy headlines with these weird pictures. And so someone had submitted, I think, eight, six or eight of them. And with different sayings and headlines and pictures and stuff. And that's what ended up winning first place was those tabloid front covers from uh, the wheel of time story. So uh, are you seeing those there, Mark? Are you looking at those?
1: Uh, I am putting it in, but, uh, I don't see it just pulls up a bunch of dumb tabloids about Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll have to look, but, uh, they kind of sound like they'd be pretty neat. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're pretty cool. I like them. I think they're they're good. Definitely, all three are great choices, and definitely worthy of winning the contest. So, we just uh, wanted to give an update on that. If you're on Twitter, go check it out. Go to Rafe Judkin's uh, Twitter account, and you'll see pictures of them from I think it was, you know, the first of January around that time frame. So, go check it out. So we'll keep you updated on the latest Wheel of Time news. Lately, there hasn't been too much going on. They're just ramping up with, you know, writing scripts and getting organized, all that sort of stuff. So right now, the news is kind of sparse. And I'm sure as we get closer to them actually, you know, auditioning for parts and picking actors for characters, the the news will come a little more frequently and be a lot more interesting. So, But we'll mm-hmm. definitely keep you updated on the latest Wheel of Time news.
1: I bet we'll see a big ramp up out right after uh, Game of Thrones is over. I yeah. Think. See, there's just nonstop news about it. And I think kind of that's what this is all, you know, like the timing is going to be. We're going to see Game of Thrones end and then a movie, you know, like, a, you know, how they do the seasons for the different, you know, series, like you'll see like a half a season go by and then we'll see this start.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So hopefully they start filming later this year, that'd be awesome. Um, I think that's kind of quick, but um, you never know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, latest, that's the latest news from the Wheel of Time. Um, so chapter 11, the road to Terran Ferry. Um, last we left our group of uh, adventurers, which is Lan, Moraine, Rand, Matt, Perrin, Tom, and Egwene, and Bella, of course. Uh, they were leaving the two rivers, Emmonsfield, and heading off into, you know, they're headed to Tarvalin with the I, said I to be safe to escape the Trollocs. So this chapter picks up with that and they're headed up north on the north road and they're going to um, Watch Hill, which is the next town. And they're just kind of Going by the cover of night, trying to hide, and uh, they're running the horses pretty hard. And uh, Moraine is is healing the horses. And that's one thing that's revealed in this chapter is that um, uh, they're the boys are kind of worried about the the horses, but Moraine's touching them and kind of healing their tiredness. And but Moraine marks that remarks that uh, Bella is is not as tired as the rest of them. So. It's, an interesting fact that we'll address later. But while they're, while they're doing that, they hear the drag car, you know, which is the flying murderer basically. And they hear the the drag car scream. So everybody gets all worried and they jump back on their houses, their horses and start galloping into the night once again. Um, Moraine uses fog to envelop the the riders, the group. Um, She calls, you know, she's able to control the weather just a little bit. so she calls forth Fog to to hide them. So they keep riding and riding through the night. They eventually make it They make it to Terran Ferry. And as they get to the village, uh, they f- go to the house of the, the guy who's in charge of the ferry, who happens to be named Master Hightower. Now, does that sound familiar to you, Mark?
1: Uh, Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Game of Thrones, uh, the Hightowers are... Um, kind of a big name in the old, the old, kind of old guard, right? When Ned Stark was young, but yeah, uh, okay, I remember them both of them. So yeah, High Tower.
0: Yeah. So apparently, that's a a common name in these fantasy novels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so they get Master High Tower. It's still the middle of the night. They get him up. They pay him a lot of gold, and they get on the ferry and cross over. So that's the the basis of that chapter. Uh, pretty pretty straightforward. You know, I think the only interesting thing really is that Moraine uses the one power a couple of times in this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. We see her use it to heal the horses, and we see her call forth the fog, it's something that's, you know, only I Sud I or someone who uses the one power can do. Mm
1: hmm. Well, uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense now, but uh, you kind of get to see the. The width, the breadth, whatever the word is, of Moiraine's power, yeah. right? Because, uh, I mean, kind of jumping ahead, we see Varen talk about, you know, they, they ask her to change the the weather in book three, and she's like, yeah, and n- I can't do that, you know what I mean? It's like no, <laughs> and uh, um, what Moiraine most definitely can, and so to to you know affect that larger of an area is quite a feat uh, in a, in of itself, and and you learn that you know. You gain more perspective of it later, but it, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then I had forgot when I was reading this, that we had been introduced to drag car, um, this early in the book Yeah. and how much you just didn't know about it. You know, you just didn't uh, get a lot of information and, um, I'll be talking more, uh, about, uh, the shadow spawn. That's what, uh, you know all the evil armies are called the Shadowspawn. I'll be talking more kind of in depth about those in in uh, one of my uh, side writings that I'm gonna do about. Um, but dragcar are actually uh, you know really dangerous in their own right. They're pretty feared. So uh, that there was one there following him kind of shows how uh, not how desperate I guess the dark side you know uh, the dark was to try to stop stop these guys. The yeah. big drag car
0: yeah they were going all in if they're sending Murdraw,
1: Trollocs, and a drag car all at once to get them mm-hmm. so yeah pr- pretty cool um uh you know the drag car but basically w- what drag car is is it like a crazy evil human being with wings right like kind of like a like a vampire i guess would be the closest yeah. Uh, thing I could get to, but they're pretty, they're pretty neat. Like I said, look, look for that and we'll talk more about drag car, what they are, Trollocks, midroll, mid roll and stuff, because it, it doesn't really go into super depth about them, but uh, there, there's some, uh, they're fun, fun to talk about, you know, kind of scary and kind of gives you a little bit um, grounding about what, what they can do.
0: Yeah, definitely. So they're able to rouse the, the master of the ferry to get across the, the river, the Terran River there. Chapter 12 is is called Across the Terran. So pretty, pretty basic chapter headings here. Road to Terran Ferry, then Across the Terran. So, oh. um, here they're, they're able to, to cross it. There's like this uh, ferry that they get all, all the, the group and the horses get on it. And the, the guy, Master H- Hightower, it has these helpers that pull the rope and them across the river, I guess it's pretty wide and fast running and deep. So it's dangerous to just, you know, build a bridge or whatever, but that's how they, they get across. They get across and land pays them some more gold. And there's kind of a hint that, uh, master Hightower and his group are going to attack those guys and steal their money. But, um, Rand and Matt and Perrin kind of Get their weapons ready and put their hand on their sword type stuff. So, <laughs> Tom's pulls out a dagger and he's trimming his fingernails. So, I thought that was kind of funny that they kind of nonchalantly say, "Hey, don't mess with us or we're going to kill you." So, <laughs> Master High Tower and his goons kind of leave with what they got.
1: Yeah, it's uh, so these chapters are kind of um, right here in the middle. I don't know. They kind of for me they're they're not really super boring, but it's just kind of mundane a little bit right you're just kind of reading oh we're running and there's more woods and there's more woods and we're going to go over this hill and look there's more woods so (laughs) um you know uh but there's a lot of good side information in these chapters so it's good to read it read them kind of understand you know read between the lines type thing yeah Um, so you know stick with it here i, I know these chapters are going to be slow for you but um it, it really starts picking up um as we get through so like these last two chapters uh, up until chapter 13 is just almost the same chapters
0: yeah but they move pretty quickly i mean they're running and you kind of get that anticipation that uh fear of something chasing them so i mean you read through i read through them pretty quick so mm-hmm. like i said not much happens but um in this chapter, we do see they they take uh, they get across the terrain and they keep going and then they find this resting place that Lan has prepared for the group. Um, and they kind of go hide under these trees that are in this big pile, at least that's the impression I got. So um, Moraine and Egwene kind of go off to themselves and they start talking and um, Lan and the boys are outside of the, that; uh, those trees and are talking as well. And then when the boys go in to the where Egwene and Moraine are, they find that Moraine is teaching Egwene about the One Power. And she actually shows Egwene how to channel the One Power, how to use the One Power to create a small light. And so... Maureen kind of I think she kind of jumped the gun here but she seemed she must have been pretty excited but she says that you know Egwene you've done something that's not many women who go to the tower to train learn that quickly she's picked it up really quick and she may even become the Amarylline seed one day which is like the the head I said I and I thought that was when I first heard it, I was like wow that's you know here she is this farm girl and she's gonna become head I said I someday. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, she says that and definitely some foreshadowing going on
1: there. Hmm. Well, and it makes you wonder too, like, uh, because as you'll read through these books, uh, Aes Sedai are like the, the best manipulators in the world. So it makes you wonder if when they recruit, if that's what they say to all, every girl, like to get them excited. Yeah. They come like, oh yeah, if you leave home, you could become the most powerful woman in the world. Uh, while scrubbing <laughs> that's a good body. point. <laughs> so you know I kind of wonder because you know they can't lie we learned in uh, earlier when I mean, we talked about it that, that uh, um, I said I can't lie and but that's not necessarily a lie right she may she could one day become a Merlin or anybody could come Mureland you know that goes to the White Tower but the likelihood is so small but you can say it without lying I guess mm-hmm. it's yeah. one of those things
0: there's a .01% chance it could be you
1: yeah, such a thin, uh, thin layer. And w- we'll learn more kind of about the uh, the three O's and stuff like that that the Aes uh, I Sedai I take later and kind of the their sneaky ways around them. Yeah.
0: So Egwin's excited and she tells Rand, hey, I'm going to be an Aes Sedai. And Rand and the boys, his friends, Matt and Periner, do not like that at all. So there's mm-hmm. a little conflict there.
1: Well, and you kind of learn later that it's such a misunderstanding, right? That uh, people fear this power from the women. Uh, And and it mostly comes to because of the breaking, right? Uh, The breaking happened because of the one power. And now these women use the one power. But it's just really all comes down to this huge misunderstanding that these people have of it. yeah. Uh, And so they're just, you know, they're just scared their whole lives. They grew up, you know, oh, you know, the Aes Sedai are wicked or they're crazy or they'll kill people. No, they won't kill people. They'll kidnap you or you know, whatever it is. So uh, you know, they're just totally against it. Like, how could you, you know, it's it's against everything that we knew when we were growing up.
0: Yeah. Yep. So then we transition into the next chapter, chapter 13, called Choices. And um as they kind of goes back to the group and Moraine uses the power to kind of do the same thing she did with the horses, where she can, she takes away their tiredness, and they're able to to keep running and riding the horses. Um, in this chapter, the start of this chapter, Rand, Matt, and Perrin they think they're only going to be going to be gone from the Two Rivers from their home for a short time. That they're gonna, you know, just go on this adventure. They're gonna go to Tarvalen and then come back home, and everything's gonna go back to normal. So that's kind of their mindset. This just... Hey, we're going to go on this quick adventure, come back. It's going to be fun. Everything's going to be cool when we get back. So, uh, But Egwene, her, her mindset is, hey, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. I'm going to the, the tower, uh, learn how to be nice to die, and a little more forward thinking than the boys are. Mm-hmm. So they get back on their horses and head out again uh, towards Barilon. That's the next city on their stop uh, to the, to Tarvalon. And they're still headed north from the two rivers, um, so they keep going. They they stop again for the night, and Rand he he's kind of upset with what's going on to Egwene. So he's he wants to kind of listen in on what Moraine and Egwene are talking about. So they go off again to talk, and uh, Rand sneaks over and starts to listen. And we hear Moraine, or I guess we don't hear Rand hears, and we're told through him that uh, they talk about the five powers, um, how um, Moraine is telling Egwene, kind of like what you're saying, that the I said I, the the female I said I aren't evil. You know, they're not the bad guys. The the men were the ones that went insane and broke the world and kind of went crazy and did all these crazy things and hurt people. So um, she kind of gives Egwene a rundown and reassures her, hey, it's going to be okay. There's going to be some... You know some stuff going on in the White Tower. You'll find out there's there's good I eye, said eye, and then there's not necessarily bad, but they're not you know ones you want to hang out with. They're manipulative a little bit. Some um, some are brave, some are weak. You know you just you don't know. They're all they're all kinds of Aes said eye. So she kind of gives uh, in the rundown of what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is kind of too where we learn like the different Ajas, right? They talk about like the blue, the gray, the brown, etc. Is that right?
0: Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I know she talks about the the five powers, earth, wind, water, spirit,
1: fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. If you watch captain planet back in the day, it's pretty much that. Yeah. yeah. Or, um, avatar, the last airbender. <laughs> yep. Yep. So apparently, uh, there's just only so many elements. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, it's pretty cool, but yeah, I can't remember if they talk about the odds here. Um, uh, but uh, you know we start getting a better look into who the Sedai are, what they really stand for, uh, and obviously it's it's kind of a one-sided conversation because there's no way Maureen's gonna be like, yeah, we have these Ajas and we're we totally fight against each other. <laughs> yeah. So we 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 learn more about that really, I guess, in in late book two and book three uh, when once we get to the White Tower, but. Uh, um, it's pretty interesting to learn more and more about the Aes Sedai because there's so much to know. And uh, so it's always fun when they talk about it, pay attention because it'll do you, uh, a lot of, it would benefit you a lot later in the book. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: so next stop, they come up on Berlon. Uh, she tells the group, Hey, you know, here, my name is Alice and Lan, his name is Andra. So don't call us by our real names. So they head up to the gate. The gatekeeper sees them and lets them in because he knows Moraine. Um, he tells them the white cloaks are in town and uh, you know watch out for them because they're there to cause trouble. And white cloaks are another major player in the story. You know we're, We see them this early in the book in chapter 13 and they're pretty much there the rest of the story. So the white cloaks are kind of, I guess you could say they're neutral, but they're, what is it? There's like, chaotic good neutral good you know that sort of thing that whole mindset mm-hmm. and they're definitely um in the neutral side there they don't they have their own agenda i'll just say that you know they want to be in power they want to rule as much as, of the land as they can they feel like they have you know their mission is the right one and i said i or evil all
1: that sort of thing so they're They're more like a um they're kind of like a lawful good characters yeah like two like yeah like you know and and we'll meet i I don't want to spoil anything so i'll skip what i was just going to say but um (laughs) uh, we'll meet some characters that will will completely you know when they talk about this character you're like oh yep that's a white cloak and that's what a white cloak is you know they are lawful good to the um it could be chaotic though, because they kind of like, they have their own belief system regardless of the law. And that belief system is, is what it is, right? Regardless, yeah. like we don't care what the law says, this is what's right. And, you yeah. know, we kill anybody to accomplish our goals. And the way I see them is they are like the fanatic zealots of the, um, uh, the Templars.
0: Yeah. you know
1: like Knights Templars or something like that. They are just these crazy fanatics almost. And and there's some big names throughout the White Cloaks, and, and we'll read more about them later. Uh, but uh, they they play a big part in this book. They're never going to disappear. And th- it's, it's so strange that they're just always around there. Like, even if they're not a major player in uh, certain events, they're always involved in, like, every event. So it, it's completely crazy how how everywhere they are so um but uh, they're a lot of fun i think you know there's a lot of a lot of interesting characters that come in and out of the um white cloaks and uh, and we'll continue to read about them. And, and same thing i'm going to talk more about the white cloak structure and who's who and in, in another uh um, writing that I'm going to post, so look for that, and we'll let you know when you get, we're gonna. I'm gonna do this, and they'll be fun to read into. Cause same thing, it tells you a little bit, but it doesn't just go into the, all the nitty gritty of everything. You kind of have to read about that on the side.
0: Yeah. So this gatekeeper, he also mentions a false dragon in Gildan, and there's an army. So that comes into play a little bit later down the road as well. Um, they they enter the city of Berelon and. Here we hear first about the Carathon cycle from Tom. Tom tells Rand a little bit about it and uh, talks about the dragon reborn because because of the false dragon that they just heard about. Tom starts telling a little bit a little bit more about the the real dragon. Rand doesn't know what to think of the prophecies, but um, you know this is the first time we hear about that. And then they arrive at the the inn called the Stag and Lion, and Moraine and Lan know the the innkeeper there. So he lets him inside, gives him some hot meals and gets him, you know, takes good care of them. So that's the that chapter and chapter fourteen, they're they're at the stag and in lion inn there they're in Barlawn. Um they get all cleaned up, they take some baths, that sort of thing. But uh again here Rand takes a nap. He likes to nap apparently <laughs> And as he does, um, he has a dream about Balsamon. And Balsamon is there chasing him, and he kind of tries to escape, but he can't. Everywhere he goes, Balsamon's there waiting for him. So Ran starts to engage in a conversation with him. He asks Ran about the Eye of the World. He asks about the Amarillo seat, if um, if the Amarillo seat's going to use him. So Rand's kind of freaked out, and he tells him that, hey, you're supposed to be bound in shay ghul which is the headquarters of the dark one and this is kind of an interesting point because we hear that balzaman is one of the the forsaken so he's supposed to be bound with the other 12 forsaken you know in this prison basically but here he is and balzaman says that he's he's never been bound you know that's not you know that didn't happen to me i was with Luz Theron, when he killed everyone, when he created Dragon Mount, he was there to whisper in Arthur Queen's ear and kind of direct his thing, his, his campaign. And then, you know, so he says throughout history, I've been there. I've influenced. Didn't
1: he say something about the Trolloc Wars, too?
0: Yeah, he was there for that. So he's supposed to be bound, but yet here he is, you know, popping up throughout history, creating chaos. So that's, that's an interesting topic. Um, so Rand thinks he's dreaming, but then Balzaman makes these rats break their back to show him that he's not dreaming. This freaks out Rand and he wakes up. He kinda gets up and that's when the chapter ends. So I don't know if you want to talk about Balzamon now or if we want to save that for a different episode, but
1: Yeah, this, this is such a broad subject, uh, because um you know, who you know what we know about Baalzamin so far. Right. Um, you know, he's around. His eyes are are fire. His mouth is fire. Um, you know, they... Oh, I think we find out actually later he's a forsaken. <laughs> but uh, right now they think he's the dark one. The Osman yeah. ba- is the dark one. He is... And yeah. you know, is what they call him, you know. And he is supposed to be bound in jail, ghoul, and, and not away. Uh, we find out later more about his his origins and who he really is and things like that. Um, it, it's kind of hard because I don't want to give a lot away uh, with Balsam because there's still a lot to learn about him. Um, but I think one of the things I can say is that we find out kind of um, that he is Forsaken and why he was able to touch the world where other Forsaken weren't. And it just basically explains it that he was trapped on the edge you know uh, and I talk about this in the breaking uh and we'll talk more about that a little later but um he was bound when they created the the prison with the um quendalar yeah, uh, yeah. he was bound just below the surface of the prison and so um he was able to uh kind of escape that on a on a certain basis like every hundred years or thousand years or whatever it was and touch the world for a time and then he would be bound again and so uh but it talks about that he is the first forsaken to be able to escape uh you know and and i guess that gives it away there'll be more forsaken coming (laughs) uh but he is the first one that's out and um you find you know as I've been reading you know the side stuff the extra books the white books things like that you find out that he escaped probably two or three years before um like full-time like he was full-time out two or three years before that and he was definitely out uh when Rand was born so what is that like 17 years ago so he was definitely out then but he was out full-time two or three years before the events of this book.
0: All right. Yeah. So that's Balsamon right now. I, I always wondered as the story progressed and, you know, things expanded that if Robert Jordan left Balsamon kind of, because he never defined who he was until after this book. So I think maybe it's like, well, if this book doesn't do well, then I really don't have to worry about, You know, clarifying who he is or anything like that. I just kind of got that sense that he wrote this book. In general, there's a lot of plot points that they they do make sense later on. But if they hadn't continued with the story, then it wouldn't have mattered. It would have been pretty plain. You know, he was the dark one. So I don't know if that makes sense. Mm. All right, and in this chapter, Rand sees Min, even though he doesn't know her name. He just kind of sees this girl and men's clothing with short hair um, and she looks at at Rand and Leaves and let's see yeah, Min's, so let me, my, Min's my
1: favorite by the way
0: Min's your favorite?
1: Yep um, of the three that'll make sense in like 10 books but of the three she's my favorite
0: <laughs> Yeah she's my least favorite I can't decide between Elaine and uh, the other one I'm not gonna name. I already gave too much away. <laughs>
1: Who's Elaine? No. That
0: sounds made up. Anyways, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> then we transition into the next chapter called "Strangers and Friends." You know, Rand he wakes up from his crazy dream that he had. He sees that Lan is has left. He goes downstairs, and this is when he he finds out about the the rats. So in his in this dream, uh, Balsamon broke the rats' backs. And he, talk, he goes downstairs to the kitchen. He kind of sees um, the cook there and she's talking about all these dead rats that their backs have been broken. So Ran's like freaked out about that. He goes, finds Perrin and Perrin says, oh, I'm not feeling well. I had some bad dreams too. They kind of talk about it and they realize, hey, it's the same dream. Bowser and in both of our dreams. So that was kind of strange for them. But uh, Ran wants to go out and explore. So he leaves and on his way out, he, he runs into Min for the first time has a conversation with her, and uh, she starts telling him some things that uh, is kind of far out there, but they're compelling. So she tells him that she sees things about people and the pattern. She sees these images, these auras around people, and that um, they're all, that um, Rand, Matt, Perrin, and Egwene, they're all tied together. They're all going to you know, be a huge influence on the pattern. And she tells him about Egwene that, um, you know, they love each other, but not, you know, they're not going to end up together basically. And that they're just not meant for each other. And she also tells him some other things that she sees his blood upon the rocks and he's on his his deathbed and there's three women there uh, looking at him. And so just things like that. He's like, okay, I don't want to hear anymore. And <laughs> he leaves.
1: It's like, okay, Kuka, give me my hand back and you have a great day. Yeah. And I'll send someone to come help you.
0: But the thing with men, especially when you go back and do a reread, all the things that she says come true.
1: Everything, right? Like, and I've been noticing that too. Like, as I'm doing a reread and she'll say something like, oh, well, that makes sense now. Like, (laughs) you know, so pay attention to what she says. Uh, I, I promise you, she sounds kooky, but. She is a big part of the story. Yep.
0: So he takes off and starts wandering through the town. He runs into Padden Fane, who was the peddler from the first couple of chapters.
1: And he went missing, if you remember. Uh, you know, the Trollocs attacked, and, and he's just missing. We have no idea what happened to him. Yeah.
0: So Rand chases him down and starts talking to him. He's like, Hey, where you been? What you been up to? And Fane kind of is trying to avoid him and blow him off. And Rand thinks that's kind of weird. But then Fane, he's all nervous and fidgety and he kind of takes off and runs, runs off, which, uh, you know, that would kind of give me some, some red flags. But Rand doesn't see those flags. And he's like, Hey, my buddy Pat and Fane, who I've talked to like twice. <laughs>
1: Well, they kind of knew him before that, too, though, right? So, like, they, I mean, while. Oh, yeah, he
0: came, like, every best, year, right?
1: Yeah, why they might be best friends. Like, he hes he knows who he is, you know. It's not that they're strangers. Yeah, that's true. So,
0: he goes chasing after Fane when he runs into Matt. And Matt and Rand start talking and say, hey, did you see Pat and Fane? And that sort of thing. And then they talk about their dreams. They find out that, hey, they're having the same dreams, too. And all three of them are. And they all think that's really strange for that to happen. And then they run into some white cloaks, and Matt kind of runs off and hides, but um, uh, Rand's kind of stuck in the street. But Matt kind of breaks these, uh, like there's these barrels on the side, and he kind of breaks the thing that's holding them, and they roll off and splash mud onto the white cloaks. And one of them, um, the the leader, is actually ends up being a, a major player throughout the story, uh, Bornhold, he, he gets mad at him and confronts Rand in the street. And they see his sword and they start to, to ask him questions and to kind of corner him. And he tries to avoid answering him, to not talk to him. But um, throughout that confrontation, the city watch shows up. And then the white cloaks leave and Rand and Matt take off and head back to the the inn again. They meet meet up with Tom and they tell Tom, hey, we've been having these dreams about Balsamum. And Tom's like, shh, don't say anything. You guys are crazy. Don't say that name here. So he shushes him and Tom tells him to be quiet. Don't talk to anybody about it. And so they go back to the inn. They meet up with Perrin and they say, hey, Perrin tells them, hey, 90s here. She's come. She's tracked us down. And then that's the end of the chapter.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, with the when he splashed the water, was that Dane or was that?
0: That was the kid, the son.
1: It was the son? Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. The younger one. It wasn't Lord Bornhold. It was, yeah, it was Dane.
1: But yeah, it must have been Dane because Jebam wasn't so, I don't know, un- impatient, yeah. I guess is the right word. Not that he's a patient guy, but
0: Dan's a little fanatical.
1: Yeah, a little bit more on the crazy side. Yep.
0: So yeah, that's kind of what happens in these these chapters. It's interesting. I think I mentioned last time, the last episode that um, having ninety show up later, kind of track them down after the fact. I thought it was kind of strange. Why didn't she just? Why didn't Robert Jordan put her with the group at the in the beginning? And I don't know for me it seems kind of like well he realized he needed another female another strong female to be there to balance out everybody or because later on some stuff happens and she ends up going with people and so i think she needed to be there and he realized that after the fact but i don't know because when she joined the whole dynamic of the group changed for, mm-hmm. for better and i i really like her and how she <laughs> tries to Uh, take control but yet she's slapped down by Moraine and but yeah, she still keeps trying so I think it's it's a good conflict there so I like it
1: yeah no she she definitely brings a lot of a lot of fun like I don't know dynamic to the group right I don't know if it's necessarily fun because it took me quite a few books to actually like oh yeah and now the first time I didn't like her at all yeah but now I like after a while I was like man she is awesome yeah (laughs) sorry and so but um it's you know it's just good it's good so i think that like you said you know daniel didn't come and there was a certain uh how to say a mesh on the group that they he to fulfill and so Nina eve or ninny eve or however you want to say it it kind of fulfilled that yeah
0: yeah it's definitely like that she was uh included in the group from here on out yeah any thoughts on on these five chapters that we just talked about uh, what's your overall take from from these chapters
1: man uh i i, I think that uh, one of the things maybe to take away from this is that there's a lot of great base information all right uh, it's late you know you're laying down the brickwork for a huge story so don't get discouraged i've talked to some people that have been like oh man it's just too slow or it's too, too hard of a read and stuff like that but stick with it I promise like this is setting down some great um groundwork for later especially with the children of light or the white cloaks also known as the children of light um uh, with pad and fane we get to kind of see him and and his craziness and that's going to come out more later and Um, you know with them running and what they're running from the drag car chasing them It's just a lot of fun. It's just gonna keep building right the book kind of builds from here and builds and builds and builds And all of a sudden awesome things happen and then it builds some more builds some more and awesome things happen And I mean, we're like Three or four chapters from awesome things happening. So, uh, I I think it's fun. It's just building uh, more and more I think, you know, that's a good takeaway from it, you know, for a first time reader. If you're not a first time reader and you're, you're joining us, you know, as, as a I'll reread as well. I think it's interesting to note for me, I, I kind of look at these dreams and st- stuff that he's having. And in the very last book, Rand says to Balsman, he says, you know, I don't know how you did those dreams with me. You know, when I when I first started out, I still haven't figured it out. And Balzaman never tells him. <laughs> he kind of like smiles slightly, like hmm. You know, so I've always wondered like how this all happened and and you know how he did it all, but it's never explained. So I've always tried to figure it out myself, but I'm not Robert Jordan, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, so if anybody has any insight, uh, let us know on social media or send us an email. Let us know what you think, because um, yeah, I mean. Like you said, these chapters lay some serious groundwork. The The first couple chapters, same thing, uh, but they were stuck in Emmons Field. They didn't go anywhere. And these chapters, they're running. They, you know, there's, there's a lot of action and stuff like that. So it's a lot more interesting. But still, this is all just groundwork for the rest of the story. I mean, Padden Fane, huge character. Uh, we see that he didn't die in the, the Trolloc attack on the two rivers. We meet Min, we meet Dane Bornhold another huge character and it they go a long way i mean this we you know what we saw from bornhold in this chapter that's how he is the rest of the book and you know just kind of lays the groundwork for him and what he does so a lot of great stuff in these chapters and like you said in a couple more chapters it gets good it gets better so stick with it mm. to to close out we like to review a little bit of the history, kind of the, the backstories um, of, of events, of organizations, of characters. And for this episode, we want to discuss the breaking of the world. We talked a little bit about it earlier in the episode. We wanted to save it for, for the end here to kind of go into a little more detail. Uh, Mark, he wrote up a kind of a synopsis of the breaking of the world. And it's posted on our website, credible nerds.com. Go there and read it. If you haven't already, I just want to address the breaking of the world and kind of what it is. So do you want to take it from here, Mark?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I will. So as I read through book, this book and so larger, just so much, and it just touches on certain events. And one of the events that it just kind of touches on and it just talks about it sporadically is the breaking of the world. And it's such a huge event to this book um, because it kind of helps to find the reality that these people are living in you know without the breaking it would be completely different and so the breaking of the world was the very beginning of this age you know it happened at the very beginning of this age and it, it is it's kind of a big event because it wasn't just the breaking of the world it was the sealing of the bore as well so what happened is you know the Dark One's out. He's got his all this Forsaken. They're attacking. So there and Telamon, that we read about, you right in the in the prologue, he attacks this uh, the, the shale ghoul to seal this bore, and he seals it, and in doing so, uh, he locked thirteen of the most powerful Forsaken in there, uh, sealed off the Dark One from the world. Um, but it's a last-ditch effort. The Dark One was able to use a backlash and. Taint, Satan, and that's the uh, male half of the source, right? We've got Sadar, which is the female. Satan is the male, and basically, what it did is, you know, if men were to channel, it it turns them mad slowly. Um, you know, they start, you know, seeing things out of the corner of their eye, seeing things aren't there. The reality completely changes. Whatever it is, what you know, I mean, it just sounds like it just could be anything so after they sealed the boar all these men started going crazy and they started attacking the world and it was so bad that both the light forces and the dark forces stopped fighting had to (laughs) put down all these men and and kill them and, and stop the this catastrophic event and the breaking of the world it was probably more devastating that than the actual war of light right yeah it was i mean whole towns were destroyed Uh, millions and millions of people were killed.
0: The face of the land was changed,
1: right? Yeah, face of the land was changed because it wasn't like a five or ten year event. The breaking lasted for, you know, 250, 300 years, and it talks about it. So uh, the information that's great to read, and I I quote this in it, is the world of Robert Robert Jordan's The Will of Time. Uh, and it, it talks a lot, of, you know, a bit about it. And that's kind of where I got my information from straight from that. And I, I mean, it was so destructive that nobody is exactly sure how long it lasted because nobody was alive that knew the dates anymore. And, it, and it just kind of talks about that, you know, like the events surrounding it, you know, who, what Luce Theron's goal was, who helped him. They're called the companions. You know who they were and things like that, and it's and it's good knowledge to know. It's a good little history to know because you will always read about the breaking. Yeah, you know, everything comes down. You know, starts from the breaking to this. You know to these events that we're reading to now and uh you know so it's a good little read it's only like you know a page and a half long total i would suggest reading it it's a fun read and it's going to give you some good information you know about the beginning and i'm going to do this periodically um throughout this just to give us more information as, as we talk about different things you know uh so that you have some context uh, and, and, and it's exciting. And then you can know what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, the breaking great event. I, the only bummer thing about it is I wish I would have known more about it. I I think that would be really cool to see, you know, exactly all the events that happened in the breaking, you know, just, just everything It's really neat. Yeah.
0: That could be its own 15 book series is how the breaking happened. What went down afterwards. All that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, everybody was hurt. And we'll read more about what an Ogier is later, but like Ogier were left wandering the world. Um, th- there was no cities as we know them to like, if you what you think of a city, there was just like little uh, huts of groups of people of like five and 10 people. There just wasn't society. Yeah. And that that's how vast the destruction was. Yeah.
0: So just a little bit more about the boar. There was the creator and then there's the dark one who are always in contention with you know, with one another. The the dark one is, he can only touch the world through the boar, right? This hole in reality linking our world to the dark one's uh, dimension or whatever, his world or whatever it is. And so um, when Luz Theron sealed the boar, he covered that hole using the seven Quendiar seals And those will come into play later. but um, So that's what sealing the boar means. You'll read a lot about that too as we go on sealing the boar. That's um, just closing off the hole, the doorway that the dark one uses to to touch our world and cause chaos. Mm -hmm.
1: And and the the boar was created in the second age, and we call it the age of legends. And it talks about that a little bit in the book, and we can talk a little bit uh, more about that. I didn't start there just because it's not in Age the books are in. Yeah. Whereas the breaking happened, you know, was the very beginning of the age. But, you know, we can talk more if, if people would like to hear about it. We don't really know anything about it except, you know, what we can read in like five pages in, in, in this book by Robert Jordan and Teresa Patterson. And the way that's explained is like, there's, I think they said that there's a book. And the most pages together are like 11 pages. Yeah. Age of Legends. So, they, you know, not even the current book is knowledgeable on what happened in the Age of Legends. Uh, we just know it was an awesome time and then it <laughs> ended with the sealing of the board.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, we can get into that once we get to that part in the story, or maybe perhaps a little earlier, but yeah, there's more to the story. But yeah, so that's our episode of this uh, third episode of the Fourth Taverin, uh, chapters 11 through. 15. Next week will be 16 through 20.
1: Yes. And you want to listen to it because chapter 19 is
0: hopping.
1: (laughs) Things get amazing. It's probably one of my favorite chapters in this book. Yeah. Yeah. That part's one of my favorites too.
0: Yeah. If you have any questions or comments or want to give us feedback or anything, definitely reach out to us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook under Credible Nerds. And send us an email at nerds at gmail.com. Just let us know what you think. If you like our show, if you feel like we could do a better job, let us know what that is. So we're always looking to improve and get better. And if there's a segment you'd like to hear, not hear on our show that we're not talking about, let us know. If you want to hear more about Bella, let us know. <laughs>
1: Because you'll hear plenty about her okay. in like literally every book and every event that ever happens.
0: So yeah, let us know what you think. We love talking about Wheel of Time. We're looking forward to the Amazon TV series that'll be coming out hopefully next year, later this year. I haven't specified when that is, but we're looking forward to it. Um, like we talked about earlier, we've been Wheel of Time readers for about 20 years now, so definitely it's a, a dream come true for us. So. Let us know what you think. So yeah, definitely follow us on on social media. Also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash credible nerds. Get some extra bonus coverage, not only for the fourth Taviran episodes, but our other nerdy episodes that we talk about where we review movies, TV shows, books, um, just general nerd news. We have our bonus content there on Patreon. So check us out there. Support us there if you you want to. We appreciate you listening to us and we'll catch you next time. See you guys. While recording this last episode, Mark and I kept talking about certain topics that contain spoilers... So we wanted to put this at the end of the podcast and give you a spoiler warning. If you haven't read all 15 books of The Wheel of Time, you will be exposed to some spoilers. So just be warned. Uh, we spend a few minutes talking about Matt, Rand, and Lan, and who's the better swordsman, who would win in a one-on-one duel between these three. As so we give some speculation on that, so sit back and enjoy this bonus content. So your question is, can Matt beat Rand or Lan uh, in a, like a duel or?
1: Yeah. a Duel with weapons. One-on-one. Yes. With no power, like no power, you know, no using yeah. power. Cause otherwise Lan just picks him up, rips him in half and whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Are you talking like right now in the story or just at the peak of their powers? At the peak. Hmm. Huh. Because I just passed that part where he just slam dunked uh, Gawain and uh, Gilad's faces. Oh, yeah. at the dower. When he's like on, you know, an inch away from death's bed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he goes in there and just like dunks on their faces, you know? And so I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, how <laughs> awesome is this guy really? Because those two are considered like, top five best swordsmen of the yeah. era
0: well this is before he went into the the doorways too right
1: yeah before he went into the doorway this is book two. yeah and so it's like man by book, book 13 or like maybe it's book three but still early Hmm. like how awesome is he like how good is he could yeah. you know could he beat rand who's considered the second best or could he beat land who's considered the best I with think- Ashendari. I
0: guess you got to determine who's better, Rand or Lan. I think if at the peak, Rand is better. So can Matt beat Lan? I, yeah, I think so. I don't know if he can beat Rand though. I think it'd be a tie at best.
1: Oh yeah, I could see it. Just because like Rand has all that knowledge too, right? It's not just Matt that has all the knowledge.
0: Yeah, I don't know. it's good because Rand's taller, so he has he's a little bit stronger. But Matt's quicker. I don't know,
1: man. Because I think Matt is totally uh, um, looked over as oh, like yeah. a deadly hand-to-hand fighter. But after that, I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you, like, and then he beat Khaled – you know, Cool Dane, or what? How do you, how you say Who say his, him? his name? Yeah, in one on you know, one v one and this is like a um a warrior that's like amazing. And I remember it like it was a cool fight, but it it's not like Matt it was close. Matt killed him pretty solidly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I it definitely be it wouldn't be one sided, it'd be close. Maybe Rand maybe Matt wins.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I wonder.
0: It's is just pretty much the sword. Well, Matt can do the staff, sword, the bow. I mean, he's, he's more... Hmm. Um,
1: more versatile. Mean,
0: yeah, more, more versatile. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Be interesting. We'll have to ask that question when we get, like, way down the road. But uh, I've always, you know, after I read that again, I was like, oh, yeah, he was <laughs> pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Like, is he more awesome than these guys? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think those are the
0: top three in the story. I would say, mm-hmm. are, who is there any dark friends or dark forsaken who are good?
1: Uh, that I mean, match them. Uh, Demon Dread, um, is good. Ravine was supposed to be really good. Remember, uh, in book three, Ravine was actually beating Rand pretty good until uh what's his name until um Moiraine killed him with uh bellfire, but it was only book three, you know, but it's uh, it's kind of hinted that Ravine had beaten Lucair and Telamon in their prime
0: hmm.
1: was he the one that had the scar uh, he's the one that um uh, from Lusair? from no no, that's Samael. oh yeah yeah no uh yeah ravine is isn't he the one that took over uh Cameland. yeah- yeah camelin and put uh, more gas kind of under his spell, yeah huh. so yeah,
0: I wish they would have done like uh like even though they were just like practicing and had those three face off with each other, mhm, Anderson should have done it 'cause he he does those type of stories or moments and stories
1: oh the moment I can't wait to get to is when uh Matt and Rand are like having that one-up session you know and he's like are you really trying to one-up the Dragon Reborn you know and then Matt's like I say my take that put that in your hat and stuff it and just like walks away
0: <laughs> yeah it cracked me up yeah that's awesome yeah, he, he's Randall's he's, awesome until he got all dark and moody.
1: Yeah, and he was like, I was just kind of like, man, what's your problem? Like, are you for real? Like, you're yeah. just gonna, like, especially when he went to the sianchen the first time. You know, I mean, he's like, uh, you know, and I think it was in book fourteen when he went and he was like almost freaked out and killed everybody. Yeah, and then he went to the mountain and I don't know became sane I don't, I don't remember but you know like i was like Man, this is this guy's like losing it like too much losing it
0: yeah.
1: yeah overall he's my favorite character but
0: there was times where he was just kind of hard to read or like dude snap out of it
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and just for your information we have some additional bonus content for our patreon subscribers if you wanna check out our Patreon account at patreon.com slash the nerds, you'll find some bonus content for this episode as well as all of our episodes that we record, including our Fourth Tavirin episodes. So check us out there and support us there if you can. Thanks for listening to the Fourth Taverin, a Wheel of Time podcast with your hosts, the Credible Nerds, Mark and Justin.